Do you like the work we're doing here at It's All Journalism? For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us continue the conversation about good journalism. Show your support by donating to our Patreon campaign. Go to itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page to donate. There's data sets that we look at and there's things that we look at all the time that we, we use in, in one way. And I really wanted to find different ways of using it. It really just was a matter of trying to take a step back and recognizing that all this information was there if we could just figure out how to pull it out. And once we did, it's been, it's been a year's worth of stories at this point. Welcome to It's All Journalism. I'm Michael O'Connell here with another podcast about innovative journalism. Joining me today on Skype is Joshua Vaughn. He's a reporter at The Sentinel, a daily paper in Cumberland County, Pennsylvania. Welcome to the podcast, Joshua. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. So you reached out to us and uh, about uh, some work that you're doing at The Sentinel. But before we get to, to that, why don't you sort of tell me your, your journalist journey and you know, how did you end up at The Sentinel? Sure. I actually had a, a little bit of a roundabout path into print news. I started in uh, broadcast. I was a production assistant for a local TV station when I was 19 because I wanted to be a musician and be in a studio and all that. So that got me behind a mixing board. I got into that for a little while, drove a live truck for a little bit of time, got out of news for a few years, made TV commercials and decided that you know, it was a good job, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. And I had the news bug kind of bit me. So I went back to school, finished up a degree in journalism and uh, worked for my local newspaper in another town. And then the, the job at the Sentinel came up. So I interviewed for it and have been there ever since. And it's a good place. Uh, they, they allow for a little bit of experimentation with what we do, which is pretty cool. Now you guys publish or you print the newspaper six days a week. Is that what it is? Yeah, six days a week. So we have a Monday through Saturday, and the Saturday is then a weekend edition. Okay. And, um, you know, is it just sort of a traditional sort of community newspaper, or daily paper covering the, you know, city hall, crime, the schools, all that sort of stuff? Yeah. So we have people cover the, the school boards. We have people who cover the local municipal governments, county government. And I largely cover the criminal justice system. But, I mean, we all cover a little bit of everything. So anyway, the, the reason you reached out to us is that you've been doing something interesting with your criminal justice reporting. You know, tell me about this monthly series that you're doing. Sure. Each month I do largely a data-driven look at the criminal justice system, uh, more holistic as, as a system in Cumberland County. I've been able to do that through some tools that I developed to look at data that is already there. So every time somebody gets charged with a crime, a criminal docket, which is has the name, charges, information about the person gets entered into a public system through Pennsylvania. So I've developed a system that we can actually pull that, aggregate some of the, the information from that and look at what's there. So we've done, it's, it's, I started out looking at incarceration and addiction. So what happens when somebody who is has a substance abuse disorder gets arrested and taken into jail? What happens then? Then we've, we've done uh, just looking back at a year's worth of data to see what happened in the county that year. Looked at homelessness and incarceration. One of the big ones, we looked at uh, racial disparities 
in the criminal justice system I mean, in just our county. There's always been a lot of talk of racial disparities, and, and you typically hear about it whenever it comes up, places like Ferguson, Baltimore, and then and, and that's when you start to kind of get the local look. So we, we decided to try to take a little bit of a proactive and, and look and see where things were in our county. Just last month, we looked at, we have a 500 case load increase in cases being filed in the county this year. So we, we drilled down to look to see where those cases were coming from, what kind of charges were driving that increase. So it's been since December of last year, I've done one a month. Again, they, they've largely been data driven based on the system that I have. Two of them have not been as much data driven. One of them has not been criminal justice per se. We looked at some safety stats with the highways near us. So you're mostly like scraping the um, or digging into the state police records or is it the county or, or you know, what what level are you going into? So, I mean, it's a state system. It's the unified judicial system. The state runs it, but in Pennsylvania, you have uh, what are called magisterial district justices, judges. So each county probably has several magisterial district judges, and that's where all charges get filed. So every time charges get filed with a magisterial district judge, they create a record. And with that record, it shows the name of the person, their date of birth, what crimes they were charged with, their race, when the offense happened, where the offense happened, some basic information that's very formatted. It's something that we used all the time. I mean, when somebody, we would find out somebody got charged, we get a police report. One of the things that our paper does is we try to make sure that charges were actually filed before we publish. So we take an extra step to look at the state system. State has its own front end to be able to look at it, but you generally have to have a name or some kind of identifying information to find that person. What I did was uh, created a system that we were able to grab batch information about those. So everybody charged in the county last year, scrape all that information, each one gets its own individual file. And then we have a system then that we can cycle through instead of looking at each person, we can look at, hey, how many people were charged with DUI last year? Can give us a number, can spit out, you know, all the different dockets that, that come along with that. So we can see each individual one. We can look and see where the majority of charges for DUIs, any of those sorts of things are getting filed. So, yeah. So you, you mentioned DUI. I mean, so what's the range of, of crimes that you're, you're covering? Are you covering everything or is it, are you a little more selective about what stuff that you, you cover? We have very few homicides in our county, so we do cover them. I mean, we cover them whenever they happen, but they're they're more rare. Uh, it's generally last year there was probably one hom one classified homicide that you truly consider to be person on person homicide. A lot of the homicides we get are drug delivery resulting in death or vehicular homicides, those sorts of things. Not your traditional murder. We we cover them. We've done a lot with DUI over the last year because that is one of the biggest, when we look at the, the stats for our county, that is one of the, the biggest drivers for criminal cases. Generally, about 25 to 30% of all new cases that go into our county system are DUI cases. So it's, it's, it's a big driver of the system as a whole for us. So we, we pay a lot of attention to or have paid a lot of attention to DUIs over the last year, but it, the system covers everything. Anybody who gets charged short of them, the county using an investigative grand jury, which is 
relatively rare. Uh, they, they've only used it a handful of times probably the last couple of years. So the, the overwhelming majority of cases begin at the magisterial district judge level and uh, so they, they kick up a docket. So the system will catch uh, probably 99.99% of all cases that get filed in the county. And we, we look at a little bit of everything. So how is this reported in your in your paper? Are they part of stories? Do you have like a, a crime docket? Is this something that you put on your website? So we have, I guess, two tools that we've one tool and one uh, new element that we're adding to the paper and the website. So yes, we do use it for reporting. I I will use it to try to find stories. I've done keyword searches. That's how we came about the uh, addiction and incarceration story. I was just uh, doing some keyword searches on the dockets and, and found that several people who were in the system had uh, died of drug overdoses. So I want to take a look and see you know, what happened, how the, how that happened, and that's how that one came. Um, I use it in reporting, so we'll, we'll pull stats from the system. But one thing that we did last year was the system that we had, we created a version that we call Cumberland County Insight, and we put it on our website. So anyone who comes to our website and goes on to the uh, crime and courts section can pull it up if you want to see 2016, how many people have been charged with DUI? You just pull it up, hit DUI, click the button, and it'll show you. And it gives you almost exactly what we have uh, on our back-end system. It, it shows you what percentage of cases, uh, the, the race of the defendants, the gender, all that kind of stuff, and then gives you the, the people. So we've made that available to anyone, in, uh, anyone who comes to our website. One of the other things that we are rolling out and, and about to put out at the beginning of the year is uh, a crime forecaster. So with the 500 case uh, load increase, we wanted to figure out a way to better track where we are in 2017 compared to 2016. Because 500 cases for us is a is a substantial jump. There's generally about 4,000, 3,000 to 4,000 cases entering the system. So that's a pretty substantial jump in one year. So I went back and scraped from 2013 through 2016 and sorted everything by when the cases were filed. And we've created a model to give us an average of each week, how many cases get filed in that week. And we are going to roll out every week a graphic that, that tells uh, our readers, you know, this is how many cases have been filed now. And if, if our traditional model holds true, this is how many cases we should expect. And on a weekly basis, our readers should have a, a sense of is, is criminal charges or are criminal charges up or down in the county for the year, which I, I think is a pretty cool. That's uh, something that uh, I think is going to give our readers a, a neat insight into what is happening in a little more real time. Criminal justice stats and, and the criminal justice system, we tend to lag behind on when data is released. So this gives us a little bit more of a real-time look at what's happening. So what's your sense? Is it that there, is there increased enforcement? Is this, you know, is it there increase in the particular crimes? Yeah, that, that's, honestly, that, that was probably one of the, the, we just did the story in December, and that's probably one of the, the cooler stories, or at least one that, that I thought was cool. I'm a little bit of a plonk when it comes to this stuff. So truly, whenever you say 500 case increase, uh, it sounds like it's a big uptick in, crime. And I, I know a lot of people 
think that you would hear 500 case increase and oh no my violent crime is going up and i'm it's a big problem and not that it isn't a big problem what we found was it's largely was an enforcement aspect so duis were up substantially drug crime arrests were up substantially now the largest portion of crime arrests uh, were simple possession so small amounts of drugs not for delivery and people getting charged with small amount of marijuana pennsylvania has a specific charge for possession of a small amount of marijuana those two alone accounted for about 75 percent of the overall caseload increase property crime violent crimes they were pretty well on track maybe a little bit down a little bit up uh, sexual violence was actually down. So a lot of the things that the, that you would think of traditionally that people, I think whenever they think of my crime levels are up, were not. They were not the ones that were driving the caseload increase. It, it appeared to be a large increase in enforcement or more enforcement and better enforcement. There has been a push in our county for officers to better recognize when people are under the influence of drugs rather than alcohol when they're driving which would not show up on the, the breathalyzer or the intoxilizer, whichever Howard they want to call it. So they, they've, they've really ramped that up. And one of the things that, that one of the, the chiefs of police made the point was uh, our county is going through a shift in its work staff. So a lot of the older staff is retiring. A lot of the younger officers coming in, younger officers tend to spend more time on the road. And they spend, tend to do more traffic enforcement. With more traffic enforcement comes more people getting caught with drugs in their car, more people getting pulled over for DUIs. So it really was an enforcement. It really truly appeared to be an enforcement. Even with our violent crimes, the, the harsher violent crimes, the aggravated assaults were on track or are lower than, than what they were a year prior. So are you able to, with this data, look at uh, maybe surrounding counties or other uh, municipalities and see how your county compares? Sure. Yeah, I, we can. And, and I can, for each county, you have to build, a, you have to collect all the data, which uh, takes a bit of time. One of the big problems with the system is the, the dockets come out in PDFs, which was <laughs> the big pain of trying to scrape them. So it takes a little bit of time to do it, but we have for a few surrounding counties, and they were seeing largely the same thing. Cases are going up in those counties, maybe not as dramatically, but for largely the same reasons. DUI enforcement was up. Uh, drug enforcement was up with the, the overall violent crime, the things that people would traditionally, I guess, in, in their, their minds whenever you say 500 or a large caseload increase, uh, were not, as, not up or were actually down. Uh, comparatively to the year prior. So let's talk about the how-to of this. That you know, these are you you picked up some skills to do this and to, to develop these tools. Can you sort of talk about that process and, and what tools you're using? So most of the stuff we use for the back end is uh, PHP programs. I had no coding skills up until about two years ago. I wanted to learn to code, and I'm someone who I'd rather have projects that serve a purpose. I, I'd rather rather do something that I can use in the end, not that I have a problem with building a website that doesn't do anything for me at the end, but I, I'd rather have something that, that we can use at the end. And where it all really started, uh, we're obviously like most newspapers, we are 
trying to do more with less people. That's just the reality of our industry. So I worked for the first one, I worked with a friend who actually is a coder who helped develop a system where we can now see every time charges get filed in the county. So they each each uh, magisterial district judge level, we can see when they get charged, we can see who gets charged, what they're charged with. And that got put together probably about two years ago. From there, I built that out to cover the entire state. So that was our, our first tool. And from there, saw that uh, the information was there. I mean, these these are dockets, again, that, that we looked at every single day for charges, never really stopped to think, hey, we can use them for something else. So I largely taught myself to code. I, it was a lot of sleepless nights after I helped get my help my wife get my son to sleep to uh, sit up on the computer just plugging away trying to uh, figure these things out but most of the stuff we do is is a PHP backend we'll use I use uh, Google Sheets for the the analytics and the Google tools quite a bit in Excel for the the analytics of the some of the stuff after we get the raw data but it was largely teaching myself to code because I thought there was a need and that, that there was something there that, that could really help us out. Sort of the way you say it, and this is something that I've heard from other people who've done this, who've, who went out and decided they needed to learn coding so they could work on something in specific, is that you, you have a, you identify a need or a project and then, you know, okay, what skills do I need to pick up to make that sort of happen? So you saw a need you know, the, here was this information. How can we figure out a way to present it? How to uh, figure out a way to uh, collect it? And, uh, you know, what skills do I need to, to get that? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I think as journalists, we we, we have our routines. We, we have our ways of doing things. And again, we have our data sets that, that we look at, whether that is, that is crime with us with the dockets or that that's education reporting with Pennsylvania, the school performance profiles or there's data sets that we look at and there's things that we look at all the time that we we use in, in one way. And I really wanted to find different ways of using it. And it really just was a matter of trying to take a step back and recognizing that all this information was there if we could just figure out how to pull it out. And once we did, it's been a year's worth of stories at this point. So one of the things I wanted to ask was, you know, do you identify people in your uh, on your website and in the paper? I mean, it depends. So through the system, if you pull up how many people have been charged, it will give you the individual dockets. That it'll give you their number, and you can click on it, and that'll that'll take you to their docket. I mean, that that is a public record that's already available that that's out there. If someone is charged with a newsworthy crime, I mean, we identify them in the paper, but again, we we attempt to wait. Generally, in my stories, I if I am looking at aggregated data, I try to keep it at the aggregated level. I don't tend to seek those people out to put them in the story. I mean, obviously, with, with crime, we identify some people in stories. So is there an ability already in the state system to identify people? Yes. Yeah, I mean, if, if you look, the state system allows for search by someone's name. You can do a couple different searches. So if you know there's somebody that you want to look for, that is already a possibility to do that their system already does that what our system does is allows a, a search by crime rather than 
generally you have to have a personal uh, some form of identifiable information to go to the state system to look our system allows for by the crime or by the crime type and that'll bring up the dockets and the information as far as that that crime is concerned are you just reporting the charging do, do you follow the cases through do you you know conviction non-conviction yeah i mean for the, the big cases we try to follow them all the way through that is we there was a second tool that that i developed that uh called it docket spy which allowed uh took the docket again because we are a small newsroom trying to have somebody at the courthouse sometimes to follow all these cases or to keep on top of all the cases that we have to follow so that one, you could put a docket in and it would, uh, every couple hours or however long you set the, the time for, it would check to see if there were any changes to it. So we get pinged if somebody gets, a, a change gets made to that docket. We try to follow them through. That tool, I attempted to scale up to public consumption, had it out for about a year and just, it, it, it did not scale up as well. It's one that we're able to still use with our newsroom, but it didn't quite work as well. That That's uh, for larger consumption. Just it was too much of a uh, resource hog to be able to do that. But that, that's been one of the fun parts about this is just, you know, try it. See what works, what doesn't work. And if it doesn't work, then, then you try something different. Yeah, I, I've heard of other um, local papers doing this sort of thing. And some of the concerns that have been raised, like I think there was a, a paper and website in, in Florida, as a matter of fact, that was it was pretty much, you know, they were, they were publishing dockets, they were publishing photos, sure. you know, IDing all the people. There's a difference between an arrest and a conviction. No, and, absolutely. And and so, you know, you kind of run that risk when you, you begin identifying people, then it's like, you know, what is your responsibility at the other end? You know, that, you know, John Smith was arrested for D, DUI. But, you know, that was, you know, he was clear to those charges. But, you know, it's still that information is still on your website if you identify him. So you kind of have to sort of, I guess, tread lightly and make some serious decisions about what, you know, what you're actually going to put out there. Yeah, absolutely. And again, whenever we do the whenever we do the whenever I do the stories on the aggregated data, unless I speak to the person who is charged or it is one that is spurred on by a case that we are following, a higher level case that we are following. I generally don't identify the people in the stories. The system kicks out the, the docket numbers and the information about the dockets. I, I definitely get what you're saying, and I, and I agree with you. I, I think there is a lot that the news industry needs to look at as far as how we cover crime, and that, that is one of the reasons why we're trying to do some more of the aggregate data to try to give people an understanding of what's actually happening compared to what perceived is, is happening in yeah. the system. Yeah, and the other, you know, the other other side of the argument is, well, this is on public records if somebody really wanted to get this information. But then on the other hand, you know, somebody appearing in a newspaper, it can be kind of sensational. And, sure. you know, if you don't follow the case from beginning to end, you know, what is what is it actually you're, you're doing? You know, what is it you're, you're accomplishing? You know, if, if somebody is actually really innocent or proved innocent, then... Sure, you, sure no, absolutely. Yeah, so I'm just making sure we touch all these bases. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, that. I mean, we, don't, we don't publish, so with the stories, we don't publish a list of names. And in the stories, it's not a list of dockets. It's, it's not a list of, of any of that. So we is trying to strike that balance. The system that we have, I guess, makes those public records searchable in a different way. Right. We do not go out of our way then to say, we did a story on DUI, we don't publish all the names of the people who were charged with DUI. Generally, I report on those stats in a very aggregated fashion. So 
1500 DUIs and that that'll be the explanation of 1500 DUIs. It, I think even I had one that was on repeat DUI offenders and because we weren't able to reach out to the people who were charged, it went with just a woman was charged with seven DUIs over the last five years. And that that would not be something that's accessible to the public and that's not part of our system. That's part of a back end that I have myself, but you wouldn't be able to search for that person. Well, and, uh, and even the I, the identity of the person may not even be that germane to the to the story. The story is, you know, well, you know, what? how do you deal with repeat offenders? How do you prevent this from becoming an ongoing problem? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that, that's, we are constantly talking about when is it important to identify a suspect? When is it important? When is it newsworthy to do it? When does it further the cause of, public knowledge to identify the person and when are you doing more harm by, by identifying the person. So that that's something that, and I think that's something that the news industry is constantly pushing and pulling and trying to figure out where the right balance is. So have you had any trouble gaining information or from the public records? <laughs> so I've, with the system, I the nice part is I've, I've been able to avoid having to go through most official channels. The biggest problem with building the system was that everything was in PDF and PDFs are not easy to scrape information from or not generally not even that they are. It's not as the way that I I found, which is why we had to build a whole separate system for it. For the most part, no. I Racial data, you, you run into issues with that because Pennsylvania is one of the states that does not include... Uh, Hispanic or Latino as a race, so that that information gets either plugged in as uh, white or black. So when you're talking about racial data, you're talking about a variation from what people would consider white or black or Caucasian or African American or other races. So there there is some play in the data just based off how the system tracks it. But as far as getting information from people, and agencies, there hasn't been too much of a problem. I mean, we, we run into the same disclosure and issues that anybody does when it, whenever it comes with to criminal investigations and what records are accessible during a criminal investigation, what records are not accessible, and having to have those fights and arguments. But for the aggregated data, it really has not been too much of a problem because we've been able to bypass most of those official channels. Yeah, and, and the fact that you have uh, public records that are that are pretty accessible. Um, yeah, absolutely. Th that you're basing there's still a lot of information in there that you don't need to go hunt for other stuff. Yeah, but, absolutely. And, and the other side of it is, is is you've been able to find stories in that data as well. I like the one that you were talking about about addiction. Um, you yeah. know, looking in the numbers and then and then finding little stories and then okay, we're gonna use the data to help us to tell this larger story. So, it, you know, it clues you into something that's going on, and then then that becomes. You know, it becomes both both something that points you in one direction, but it also helps you to to tell your story to to support it with the data that you've you've been able to collect. Yeah, sure. I mean, even the homeless, uh, the, the series on homelessness and incarceration that that largely started bail information is listed in the docket. So I was looking at the bails and found somebody who had been who was being held on it was something extremely low, it was about a hundred dollars or less that this guy was being held in county prison for waiting for his trial and waiting for all that. And whenever I pulled up his docket from the bail information, it listed that he had he was homeless. So I went back in and looked a little more at I was able to do a keyword search on on homeless and was able to find other people who were 
homeless and then taken to the prison. So that just spurred, you know, what does happen? Because with the guy that the initial guy that I found, he was actually given, it was a very small bail amount. And midway through the case, he was actually offered a release on unrecognizance. So he was offered to be released from prison without any bail whatsoever. He could just sign his name, provide an address and leave, but he couldn't provide an address. So he sat in prison for, I think it was another three to six months waiting for the outcome of his case because he didn't have an address. So that, that spurred us on to look at that story. And then the system also gave us the ability to try to help identify how many of those people actually wind up in our prison. So where are you going to be taking this next? Now you talked about this um, predictive series or story that you're going to be writing, looking at the data and, and sort of guessing what the crime is going to be in the future. But are you thinking about any other projects? I mean, racial disparities are, are one that we are going to be looking at again. We will probably look more at the sentencing side of that. And with the system we have, we can do a little bit of that search and then couple that with other data. I'm constantly trying to find new information. So last year was the first year that we really used it. So it was a lot of here's the, the, the racial data, the, the gender data, and what people got charged with. I'm sure we will continue to look at how many people are being charged with what and, and pulling cases out that way. Demographics are one that I'd like to do, and that, that's something that I've been playing around with being able to do and pull out of the system to figure out how old are people that are getting charged, what is the difference of ages of people getting charged. So it'll be a, it's, a, it's right now figuring out what more can I do with the data, what more can I pull out of these dockets that we have that we haven't looked at. So we're, we're still trying to dig through, figure out. Uh, there's a lot of topics I'd like to revisit. I know bail is a big topic right now in criminal justice, so I'm sure we'll return to that and, and try to figure what else we can do and what else the, the data can tell us that we have. So what's been the uh, uh, response from your readership? I hope that they, they seem to be pleased with it. I think most, at least what I found in my experience is that the people that you hear from are generally people that are not happy. So it's hard sometimes to gauge what their thoughts are. I mean, we've gotten quite a few good comments about the, the stories. And I know people have, have made uh, that they're happy to have the Cumberland County Insight tool on the system so they can, you know, get a feel for themselves. They don't have to wait for the story to come out. They can get a feel for themselves as to, to what's happening and what's happening in their municipality, what's happening in their county. So it, it's been a good response. Ideally, the hopes are at the, at the end of the year or the end of each series that the, the readers just get a better feel for what is happening inside the system. That, that by the end of all of this, they will have a stronger understanding of their system. Because, right? I mean, it, it, it's they're the taxpayers. They are the ones who are funding this system. They are the ones being affected by the system. So they, they should be the ones knowing what is happening inside that system. Well, Joshua, this has been a great conversation. I, I really enjoyed finding out about the Sentinel and the work that you're doing. I think, um, you know, using data, finding out a way to tap it in to, to tell, you know, the good stories that we all need to be telling about our communities. I think it's something that's worth sharing. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah, I get it. again, I think that's my big thing. We use data all the time. We, we as journalists have our sources. I guess my big thing is there are other ways of using it, and, and it's just a matter of taking a step back and, and looking at, what can we grab from that? So I appreciate you having me on to uh, talk about it. No problem. Next time on It's All Journalism. This independence is more a matter of weighing two good things. You know, that independence by journalists is a good thing. And community involvement 
by journalists is a good thing. And so what we need to do is encourage these two good things, but watch out for when they create conflict. In our next episode, our old friend Steve Buttery returns to talk about a new article he's written for The Current about journalism ethics. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about digital media. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Podcast One. This week's episode was edited by Nicola Grisco. Amber Healy provided our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music, and I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Hey, you've written a book. You can order copies of Turn Up the Volume, A Down and Dirty Guide to Podcasting on our website. Visit itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page. Isn't it time you started your podcast? Do you like the work that we're doing here at It's All Journalism? Now you can show your support on our Patreon page. Follow the link at the top of our website and donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you can access exclusive content and receive updates about upcoming episodes. Donate a little bit more and we'll send you a cool swag like our It's All Journalism mug or a signed copy of my podcasting book. There are even opportunities for you to submit ideas for future shows or even appear on an episode. Go to itsalljournalism.com and click on the Patreon link to find out more. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening.